There we go. God's grace is enough. And when that song says, it's like a prayer, when it said, uh, remember your people, remember your children. How many of y'all think that God would forget to do that? No way. No way. He knows we need grace. Isn't it written, uh, Paul was praying to be delivered from something. We don't know exactly what it was, but what did the Lord say to him? My grace is enough. My grace is enough for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so we come as weak people to the Lord and ask Him for grace. So as we take our Bibles, we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to put this to the test, what we think of grace. Because when we read a parable like this that we're going to read in Matthew 25, uh, we're going to see that we sure do need grace. And we're going to count on the grace of God as we read this and as we think about what is written here and as we see what we are called to as Christians and what we're called to as a church, I'm so thankful for what uh, you all are doing and how you're involved in this new, th this new thing. What's it called? The North Central Baptist Network. Amen. So these associations that you all remember from, from uh, your history have come together. We used to be in the Shelby Association, and so that's part of this, I do believe, and so it's all together one team uh, going where the Lord would have you to go and being involved in what the Lord would have you be involved in. You need grace for that. So praise the Lord. I want to read from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 25. And I'm going to start. I'm going to begin with verse 14. Matthew 25, 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that Jesus spoke so long ago and speaks to us again today. Help us to learn from it and help us to just be bathed this morning in your great grace. And Father, help us to learn of Your grace and Your mercy. Help us to learn about 
Yes, bringing forth fruit. Help us to learn that we are called to that, but help us to learn we're called to do that in your grace. And so we pray, Lord, help us. Help us to think through and help us to be careful to give you all the glory. That's what we want to do today. And so we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a parable of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think about a parable, we, we want to think of it as it is what it is. It is the Word of God. A parable is the Word of God, isn't it? Just as much as any other type of passage. A parable of the Lord Jesus is the Word of the living God to us. But it's a different kind of a thing than what we might read in other parts of the Bible. A parable is a, a good, true-to-life short story that's meant and designed to teach us truth. It's a, it's a good, true-to-life short story designed to teach us truth. And if we'll just think about that for a minute, and, and we'll be careful then to, to reap out of this passage of Scripture what the Lord would have us to have and what the Lord would have us to learn. We want to think about, first of all, as we study the Bible, we think about the context of where we find this passage. When I started out in verse 14, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey. Well, what is it? So we need to think about what is it. So we look at chapter 25 and verse 1. What does it say? Then the kingdom... Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps. And so he tells a story about those ten virgins and their lamps. How five of them were wise, five of them were foolish. Five of them were ready, five of them were not. Five of them were prepared and looking and watching for the bridegroom coming. And five of them were not prepared. And then he goes in verse 14, he says, It will be like, for it will be like a man going on a journey. So he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. What will it be like? And so then we have to think, well, what brought all this up? Well, the disciples have been asking a question. So, so turn your page back a page to chapter 24 and even chapter 23. In chapter 23, the Lord Jesus gave a stunning, piercing rebuke to the scribes and the Pharisees who opposed Him. And at the end of chapter 23, He gave a lament over Jerusalem and He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the Lord Jesus had talked about He's in the last week of his life, the last week of his earthly ministry. And he's been telling about faithfulness and unfaithfulness, readiness and unreadiness. And he laments over Jerusalem and over these leaders who did not love him, were not on his side, and they had led the city of Jerusalem astray. And so he says, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Chapter 24, that prompts a question. It says in verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away, and His disciples came to point out to Him the buildings of the temple. But He answered them, Do you see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Verse 3, as He said on the Mount of Olives, we're in chapter 24, the disciples came to Him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? So they asked him these questions. Lord Jesus, you said to those scribes and Pharisees who are not on your side and not listening to you, you said you will see me never again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When's all that going to be? They said, Jesus, tell us that we, we're insiders. And so he tells them privately. He's, he's talking with them privately. And they perhaps we can imagine some of the things they said. Jesus, you've been talking about the kingdom all the since the three years we've been with you. Kingdom of God's coming. Kingdom of heaven is coming. The kingdom of heaven is this. The kingdom of heaven is that. I'm going to come and I'm going to reign and rule and all those things. Lord, when is that all going to be? Tell us. We want to know. What is the sign of your coming? And here we are, and some of you all are, would ask that same question. Lord, give us the sign of your coming. 
Hallelujah, we're looking for the coming of the Lord. What, what great, amazing thing it will be to see the Lord Jesus. There's a time for us to all say, Amen. We want to see the Lord. We want to see His kingdom. We want to see Him reigning on this earth. And every eye seeing Him. And every eye beholding Him. And every knee bowing before Him. Including our knees. Including our eyes seeing Him. We want to see that. And they wanted to see that. And they said, Lord, tell us about that. When is it going to be? We're looking forward to it. They're rubbing their hands. And so Jesus begins to answer them. Look in chapter 24. I know we're, we're supposed to be in chapter 25. We're setting the picture. We're setting the context for what Jesus is teaching us. And so they ask, what will be the sign of your coming? Verse 27 in chapter 24 says this, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's what they're asking. What's the sign of your coming? Look on down in verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now they're saying, now that's more like it. Lord, you're getting down to answering our question. They asked Him specifically, what will be the sign of your coming? Jesus talks about lightning. It strikes in the east. Which way is east? You'll see it's, it... It'll shine over there and it'll shine immediately to the west. Isn't that what lightning does? He said, there's a sign of the coming of the Son of Man. And he said, after this time of tribulation, which we're not going to get into this morning, but there's going to be a time of all kinds of things happening. And he says, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heavens. That's what they wanted to hear. Amen, Lord. But that's not all that He told them. He adds more to it. He says, I want you to be ready. And the message of all that He's talking about is, I want you to be ready for that. It's not so much about, it's not anything about buildings and everyone thinking about, oh, this is great. And it's not even so much about lightning striking and clouds of... It's not about that. It's about Him. And it's about where our hearts are in regard to Him. And so He says, look on down in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now that's not what they were really wanting to hear. What they were wanting to hear is, give us an announcement, give us an easy map what we're to look for and what you're going to do. And probably they're thinking, we're, we're going to be right up there with you, maybe sharing your glory. He said, it's not about that. Here's what it's about. Be ready. Be ready, he says. Stay awake. You all look like you're pretty much awake this morning, and, and that's a good thing. We're awake this morning. He says, stay awake. Spiritually speaking, stay awake. Don't slumber. Don't take naps. Spiritually speaking. Now, we've got to take naps. Some of you are going to go home and take a nap today. I can see it written on your face. It's Sunday afternoon. And that's okay. Physically, we ought, to take, we ought to get our rest. I might take one myself. I don't know. But spiritually, we are to stay awake, church. And it's not just about, won't that, all that be glorious? It will be glorious when Jesus comes. But what he's saying is, be ready for that day. You be ready for that day. They're wanting to know, Lord, are you, you're ready for that day, aren't you? So tell us when it's going to be and tell us what it's going to be like. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. We're looking for that. He says, then be ready. Be ready, he says in verse 42. Verse 44, he says, therefore you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Be ready, because the Son of Man, that's me, Jesus says, I'm coming at an hour you do not expect. 
You must have your eyes open, your ears open, your hands active in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 45 of chapter 24. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Be ready. The Son of Man's coming at an hour you do not expect. And who will be faithful at that moment? So here's the question. Church. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Jesus is coming. You're not asleep, are you? Jesus is coming. The kingdom of heaven is coming in all its fullness. And Jesus says, who will be faithful when that day comes? You see, the disciples were asking, give us a sign. Tell us a sign. What will it be like? How can we predict? How will we know it's about upon us? Jesus is saying, that's not really the important part for you to be thinking about. The important part for you to be thinking about is, am I ready? And am I being faithful today? All of us, we've all got mirrors at home. I don't want us to go home now and start staring at mirrors. But we have the mirror of the Word of God and it's calling us to faithfulness. Is that right? The Lord has not saved us and called us to laziness. He's not saved us and called us to, I'm just going to sit down and wait and wonder what's going to happen and I'm going to twiddle my thumbs. No, He's calling us to faithfulness. And so all of these parables, and He gives two or three parables, and He gives two or three different lessons about His coming. And several of them, most of them, in this part of what we're reading now is, be ready. Be ready. And the Lord who comes, He's not just coming in on an airplane or a train or with a crowd of folks following along and then He's going to kind of sit down. No, He's going to, he's going to be expecting something. Not payment from us but he's going to be expecting to see faithfulness among his people and readiness, eyes open, ears open, hands busy. And he says there'll be a reward for that, for all of that. So now, that's the context. Jesus is talking about being ready. And in chapter 25, our parable now that we're looking, it's called the parable of the talents in the heading in my Bible. I don't know about yours. So when we're studying Scripture, we need to ask some things about some, especially a parable. What are the things that we read about? First of all, what is this talent thing? We've seen some talents already uh, lived out and not performed but given back to the Lord as He's blessed certain folks here with some good voices and musical ability to play instruments, uh, even ability to work on a whacked-out computer that was acting up a little while ago. Uh, some of you all have, have given in, in the giving in these offering plates. You've returned a portion of that which the Lord blessed you with. All these are, are wonderful uh, ingredients to what a faithful life is all about. But the word talent here is not that. It's not God's given me a talent of, I, can't, I cannot say, I cannot fill in the blank and say musical ability because I have almost zero. Uh, computer ability, I know how to do some work on one, but I don't know how to fix them when they go bad. The word talent here is a, is a denomination of money. And I've done a little bit of research and I found out it is this. It is 20 years worth of a laborer's wages. That's one talent. So let's figure that out. You all got your multipliers on you? Let's say the wages of a... We're just going to do rounded figures. So wages in our day for... a a laborer, you know, what is minimum wage is $7.35, is it, or $7.25 an hour? Let's say $10 an hour for a laborer. Some of y'all have worked for far less. Some of y'all who've worked in on farms or been out 
putting up hay. I remember what that was like to be paid $2 an hour for putting up hay or housing tobacco or zero. Some of y'all worked for zero. That's, that is the minimum of all minimum wages. But let's say $10 an hour. There are 2,080 working hours in a year. So that's about what? About $20,000 a year. 20 years worth of wages for a laborer like that, 20,000 times 20 is 400,000 bucks. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. This first one had how many talents given to him? Five. Five times 400,000 odd dollars is a couple of million bucks. There you go. Two million dollars. The one who got two, that's two times 400,000 odd dollars. So $800,000 worth of stuff. Now it wasn't, let's remember this. These are the master's talents. He didn't give them, here's a gift to you. These are the master's, this is the master's property. That's what it says. The master was a rich man and he had two million bucks worth of stuff, whatever that stuff was, to give to one. Here's two million dollars. Another one, here's 800,000 of my dollars. Take care of it. And to another one he said, here's 400,000 of my dollars. Take care of it. Work with it. And you know the story. We read it and you're familiar with it. They worked with it. And they brought back some more. The one guy brought back four million bucks. He said, here's your two million. And here's two more million. And what did the master say? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that what he said? So that's what a talent is. It's not singing ability. It's not, I'm an artist and the Lord has given me talent. Praise God for singing ability. Praise God for artistic abilities. Praise God for computer abilities. Praise God for carpentry and things that have been done in this building. Praise God for all that. Those are gifts of God. Exercise your gifts. But what we're, what we're talking about is God, this master in the story. Remember, this is a story. This master had possessions and he gave them to his servants to use to bring forth a return on what he had given them. Now this is, remember, what is a parable? What, what, what was our definition of a parable? Alright, it's a story that teaches the truth. It's a short story. The parables are not usually long. They're short. And they're true to life. Now we might say, well, this isn't too true to life. I've never been around people who just said, here's, here's a couple million bucks for you to use, work with. We don't usually see that, but it's a parable. Part of what you do when you interpret a parable, you try to study what is the Lord saying, is you find what is irrelevant details. Now I have to be careful when I say that word irrelevant, because you all think I'm saying... Details of the Bible are irrelevant. I'm not talking about that way. I'm saying that there are details and parables that you can't stretch out to make them more than they are meant to be. Like, there are people who would say, okay, um, there are three of these, there are three servants. One's got five talents given to him. One's got two talents given to him. And they'll start adding up the numbers. And there must be some kind of secret meeting in the number. It doesn't matter. That's not what the story's not about. There's five and there's two and there's one. It's not about that. That's an irrelevant detail. It's not about, well, is that fair that the Lord gave five to one and two to another? The story's not about that. It's not about that's irrelevant to the story. What Jesus is teaching is you be ready and you be active in his kingdom work and what he has entrusted to us. What He's entrusted to you and to me. Be ready. Watch. He's coming back. Be faithful in what He's given you. Be faithful in what He's shared with you from His own. It's His. He's given it to us to bring forth a fruitful harvest. To bring forth an increase for His glory. That's what it's about. 
it will be like this. It will be like this. The kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's not this, it's like this. He's illustrating. That's what a parable does. It illustrates something. It tells a story that will teach us truth. Now let's explore and let's apply the point of the parable. God's people are to be involved in the life of the kingdom because they belong to the king. And growth is inevitable. God's people are to be involved in the life of the kingdom because they belong to the king and growth is inevitable. Now, we'll think about that in a minute because there's one of them that, that there was no growth. We'll think about that in a minute, but right now let's think about this. Growth is expected in the kingdom of the Lord. Growth is expected and participated in by us in the Lord's kingdom. How do we know that? There's another parable. You don't have to turn there, but let me turn in Luke. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus gave another parable that's similar to this one, but it's not exactly the same. Remember the parable of the ten pounds or the ten minas is what they're called in a lot of translations. This is in Luke 19, beginning in verse 11. It says, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because it was they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. And he said to them, A nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten pounds, ten minas apiece. And he said to them, Occupy till I come. Occupy till I come. Engage in business till I come, is what it says in the ESV. This is a similar parable, right? But it's ten servants, and he gives them ten pounds apiece, and that's a large sum of money too. And he says, Occupy. And it's expected, it says, that there'll be an increase. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered the servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. This is another parable. Similar to our parable. It says, the master in this story came back and he said, bring those guys to me so that I can find out what they gained. It was expected. And they gained. Now, all ten doesn't tell the story, doesn't tell all ten of them, just tells three. The one brought back double, just like our story. The, another one brought back not quite as much, but good return, and, and he said the same thing. Uh, praise you. That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, well done. Well done. You're gonna, I'm going to make you ruler over. You've been faithful in the little things and a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. So the Lord was saying the same thing. The question is, what are we about? Are we being faithful? And is there increase in the kingdom because of our participation? What did Jesus say the kingdom is like in the, the chapter of chapters in all the Bible that has so many parables, and it's in Matthew 13. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. You all remember that story? Just a little short parable. It's only this long. kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman had, and she put the leaven in flour in a lump. And what happened to it? It leavened the whole lump. I made pancakes yesterday for breakfast. The way I make them is old, if it's not out of a box. You get the ingredients together and you put the stuff in it and it actually starts rising. 
because all that stuff, the baking powder, and all I don't even know how it works, but it works. You mix it all together, milk and butter and eggs and flour and baking powder. It's got to have that baking powder. And that gets in that, and it even it makes bubbles in there, and it rises up. And these are the fluffiest pancakes. Well, I won't say they're the fluffiest ever, but they're good. Because that leaven gets in the whole thing. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like that. It increases. He said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. If it's, it's the smallest of all the seeds, you plant it, and it makes a great plant. And even the birds of the air will come and make nests in it. Kingdom grows. The kingdom influences. The kingdom starts out small. It even starts out small in our hearts. But it grows ever more increasingly so that we love the Lord increasingly. We know the Lord increasingly. We love others around us increasingly. Why? Because the Lord is doing a work in us. It's a kingdom work. The kingdom increases. The kingdom does not decrease. The kingdom does not stay the same. The kingdom increases. And if we're involved in the kingdom, if the Lord has brought us into His kingdom, He says, you're going to increase. What I have given you, is my, is, it's mine, but I'm investing it in you, and it will increase. He says, stay awake, be ready, watch. The question is not is when is the Lord coming? It is, am I being faithful today? Am I being faithful today? The Lord in, in the Word of God uses a lot of different descriptions or descriptors to call out who are His. Think about it. The Bible doesn't. The Bible is is a book this big. It's not all that big, but it it's not just eight or ten pages or a chapter or two. It's sixty six books, and it tells the same truth from front to back, but it tells it in different ways. And even the Lord calls His people by different names and different labels, but they all are pointing to the fact that we belong to Him. What are some of the things? that the Bible calls those who belong, those who are Christians. Number one, it calls them Christians. If you're in Christ, you're a Christian. What are, what are some other words that Jesus calls His people? What Shout them out. Believers. What else? Servants, children, children of God. Beloved. Followers of His. Then He call us followers. He says, what's another one? Disciples, yes, sir. In John 10, he says, My sheep hear my voice. We're sheep too. My sheep, we're his sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they do what? They follow me. We're thinking about who is it who belongs to the Lord? Followers of Jesus. His people are doers, they don't just have good intentions. Sometimes, we as Christians and we as Baptists, we, we, we're, we try to be too careful. And we try to say sometimes, don't emphasize the doing so much. And I, I, I want to be careful. Being a Christian is not just doing stuff. As important and good as doing stuff is for the Lord. But it's not just doing stuff. And yet, it's not not doing stuff. Can I say that again? I use a double negative. Being a Christian is not not doing things for the Lord. Why do, why do I mean that? Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who... Do you all remember, memorize that passage? But he who does the will of my Father... Being a Christian is not just doing, but it's not not doing. It's not not doing. If you don't do the will of Jesus' Father in heaven, what did He say? Is that a good thing? Not a good thing. What else does He, what else are His people? 
In Matthew 12, Jesus said, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Christian people are kingdom people, and they are fruitful people. They're fruitful people. And His people will bear much fruit as they abide in Him. Some of you all are familiar with John 15. You've read it and reread it and wondered, what is, what is Jesus saying? In John chapter 15, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the what? Branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus' people are followers. They're doers. They're fruit bearers. And they bear much fruit. We, we, we must not get the idea when we talk about grace, salvation is all by grace, and it absolutely is. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has prepared for us. And when we live in that kingdom way, empowered by our King, we will bear fruit. And Jesus says we'll bear much fruit. And bearing much fruit actually glorifies our Father. Chapter 15 of John's Gospel, verse 8, Jesus said, I say that again, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Let me, this is, this is a quiz. How do we prove that we are disciples of Christ? By saying it? Okay, by persevering, which is what Jesus is talking about in our parable, we keep on. We continue on in faithfulness. And he said here in John, by bearing much fruit, we prove that we are His disciples. We prove it. We don't make ourselves His disciples by doing all... Here's my entrance into heaven. I'm gonna, here's my key to the door. I'm going to unlock it so I can get into heaven. I'm going to do lots of good works and then I'll earn heaven. Is that what Jesus is teaching? Of course not. How do we get to heaven? Through the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord who died for our sins on the cross, bore our sins in His body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. It's all of grace. And yet, His people, when we have that kingdom life given to us, we are fruitful. We are doers of the Word and not hearers only. We are those who don't just say, Jesus is my Lord, but we prove it by a life that is lived by the power of God and by His grace and His good gifts to us. Fruit bearing is no small thing. At least to Jesus it's no small thing. How do I know that? Now, fruit bearing back in our parable in Matthew 25, there's nothing about fruit here. It's about talents. What's a talent? Miss Mathematician? 20 years labor for a laborer. $400,000 in my estimation for 20 years of work. And Jesus in His parable said, just take your $400,000 for 20 years worth of work and bury it in a hole. Is that what He said? One of the guys did that in the parable, didn't he? He buried it in a hole in the ground. And what did the Lord say in His parable? Wicked, slothful servant who proves yourself, now I'm interjecting this, who proved yourself not to be my disciple. 
Jesus said in John 15, remember? By this the Father is glorified that we bear much fruit, and so prove that we are disciples of Jesus. We don't make ourselves disciples of Jesus by doing a lot of stuff, but we prove that we're disciples of Jesus if there's an increase, an increase in kingdom life that we are participating in. Now, temptation is that doesn't sound fair or that doesn't sound right or something to that effect. But I want us to notice here in Matthew 25 what Jesus said in this parable. He gave to His servants these talents, His property, His possession. And in verse 15, how did He give it? He gave five talents to one, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Isn't that what it reads? To each according to his ability. And then he went away. Now this is a parable. We can't read too much into it, but I read there, Jesus put that little detail in there for a reason. To each according to his or her ability. He didn't expect that all of them would bring him back five talents, did he? He didn't expect that. The Lord knows those who are his. I think the last time I was here, I talked about how the Lord knows us. He knows. The Lord knows. He knows what's on the inside. He knows how he has gifted us. He knows how he has put us together. He knows our experiences. He knows our limitations. He knows the things that have tripped us up in life and kept us from being as fruitful as we could be. And yet the Lord gives it to each according to His ability. And then what? Then He comes back in the parable. This master comes and He says, okay, give, give account of what I gave you. One guy says, I bring you back five more talents. How many, how many million, how many... Did we say that is? That's two more million. And so then there's the Lord saying, man, I'm expecting all my folks to bring me back two more million. Five talents. I want, them, I want five out of all of them. Of course not. Another brings back two talents. And the same words are spoken to each of them. Now here's, listen, church. Christians so many times are a guilty people because they think, look at what so-and-so has done. They've done so much more than I can do. They've brought back a real return on Jesus' investment, if we want to say it that way. They have borne so much more fruit than I have borne. And there's a guilt trip that's laid on us either by somebody else or we lay it on ourselves. The Lord has given to each one of us according to what He knows He's gifted us for and enabled us to do. And there's, not a, there's not a guilt trip that the Lord is putting on us. You all need to measure up and all bring the same thing back to the Lord. Not on your life. The Lord knows us inside and out. And would to God that we would all go to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm Yours. Help me to be fruitful. Lord, I want to be fruitful. I want to see your kingdom increase all around me. I want, I want to see your kingdom increase in Smithfield, Kentucky, and in my family, and in my workplace where I work, and in my school where I go to school, and in my Sunday school, and whatever realm that you're living in, the Lord has enabled you, if you are a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord is enabling you to live a life of faithfulness and obedience. And He gives us these passages like this as an encouragement to say, go on, persevere, move forward, keep on. And when you fall down and stumble, then get back up and I'm going to help you get up. And you will see an increase in faithfulness, an increase in knowing God, an increase in love for your neighbor. We'll all see that. We'll all experience that together. And the Lord will be 
glorified. We cannot lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps. You've heard of that phrase, haven't you? And I'm afraid a lot of times we try to be bootstrap self-lifters. I'm going to pick myself up. I'm going to try real hard. You know, there's nothing in this passage that talks about trying real hard. There's nothing in this that says ratchet up, ratchet it up. There's nothing in here that says to do this, you've got to whatever, fill in the blank. You've got to work 20 hours a day out of 24 and you'll really be fruitful. Probably not. You'll wear yourself out. But there is abundant grace displayed in this passage when the Lord gives to each one according to his or her ability. And the Lord gives the same praise to those who bring back a little and those who bring back five talents. Because the Lord loves his people. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about that how in 1 Corinthians 1, that he had laid a foundation of the gospel of Christ. He had laid a foundation of Jesus himself. And he said, now, be careful how you build on that foundation. Remember what he said? Be careful how you build on that foundation. The day of judgment will declare it. What did he say? The day will declare what sort of work it is that you've done. He didn't say how much work you've done. He didn't measure it by the pound or the acre or the ton. He measured it by what kind. What is the quality of it? The quality of the work of the increase of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven in us, will be of the highest quality as it is done by the grace of God. And it is done as He enables us to do it. What's the Bible say? Um, Without me, you can do nothing. So this is not a challenge for us to all go out. We're gonna we're gonna huddle around here in the middle as we end, and we're all gonna you know put our hands out there and say, "Go team, let's go and let's go try hard and do much." Now this is going to be us a challenge for us to pray for one another and to see we can't do anything on our own. It's only by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. In another place, Jesus says in the parable of the sower, remember the the seed that is sown? Sown in all different kinds of soils. But the seed that's sown on the good soil brings forth a harvest. Remember what it says? Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold. Some of us are 30-fold folks. And the Lord Jesus doesn't have a word of criticism about that. Because He knows all about us. And He'll enable us to bring forth the 30-fold. And if we bring forth 30-fold, it'll be to His glory. If we bring forth 100-fold, it'll be to His glory. And who will have given the strength to do it? The Lord Jesus. It's His strength. It's His kingdom. It's His name. It's His glory. Now, there was one who didn't bring back thing. I don't know how to interpret that. He he leaves it he leaves it kind of ambiguous and unanswered and yet he's not really. Go back and read it when you get home. It's not a pretty picture. The one who brought forth nothing. I, I take it that that one must not have been must not have belonged to him. Or perhaps he would have brought forth fruit. Because what did we say? By their fruits you will know them. 
God's people bring forth fruitfulness out of a fruitful life because they are abiding in the vine. And the Lord Jesus, does the Lord always produce fruit? He does. He said, I am the vine, you're the branches. The branches grow, the, the grapes, do y'all, does anybody here grow grapes? Do you have any grape vines? Nary a one of us. We're all into tomato vines instead of grapes. I am. But the branches, actually, the fruit is born on the branches. But the branches don't have any life in them. The life comes from the vine. And the life in our lives comes from the vine himself, Jesus Christ. And Jesus' people will be fruitful people because he enables us to be. Be awake, church. Be ready. Ask for his grace, and he'll give it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy today. We thank you for your great grace. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us, that we will be a fruitful people for your glory and prove to be disciples of yours. Oh, Lord, we have nothing to give. We have no strength of our own to be fruitful. We cannot bring forth a harvest of glory to you. We cannot bring forth a return to you who have invested so much in us. In our own strength, we will be utterly like a desert. But Lord, as you cause us to live because you live in the life, your life becomes the life that is lived out in us. Oh Lord, we pray that you will bring forth a fruitful harvest for your own glory. And we ask that you'll do this in Jesus' name. Amen.